Hi, everyone. I'm Jill Smokler, and I've got issues. I've got a ton of issues, actually, and I'm pretty sure you do, too. And I'm positively sure we'll both feel better having talked about them. And that's what this podcast is all about. So let's get started. Before we get started, just a quick warning to my parents to please skip this episode. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. Hello. My guest today is named Jaya, and Jaya is a somatic sexologist and star of Netflix's Sex, Love, and Goop. For over three decades, Jaya has been immersed in the study of sexuality. She's widely recognized as a leader in the field of sexology and has trained more than 300 coaches in her erotic blueprint methodology. Her newest book, Blueprint for Pleasure, comes out in December. Okay, so Jaya, a somatic sexologist, that's a sexologist relating just to the body. I don't understand that exactly. Tell me, how how do you work with couples? How in the weeds are you getting with them? Is it talking? Is it, are you like fully instructing them? What, what does your job look like? Yeah, it depends on the couple. Everybody I work with is a year-long journey. So it's not like people just come for a one-off session and every session is very different. So I work in a very immersive style. So people usually come and spend five days with me in an immersion a couple of times a year. Plus we do like Zooms and those kinds of things as well. And first I'm working on clearing the psyche emotional charges. So what is there in the emotions that is keeping you and preventing you from connecting at the level that you want to connect in? What's the history of someone? Is there trauma? How are we working through the emotional layer before we even get to the physical body? Mm-hmm. And then once we start to work with the physical body, that really varies depending upon comfort level with people. So um, sometimes it is what you said. Sometimes it's, okay, Jaya, we just need you to see how we're fumbling or we need you to like, some people really want that. They really want that um, hands-on, me there giving them advice. Sometimes I, I say, it would be really cool if we just had cameras and I could like talk in your ear what to do. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> that would be really fun, funny. Um, but yeah, and I, I'll take notes. I'll give them like, okay, move this here. Just really concrete advice. Mm. And then sometimes because I do have a license that allows me to do touch, um, sometimes it's working with scar tissue after childbirth and that's what we're doing. And it's more, I'm working to help heal scar tissue from C-section scars, Hmm. from pelvic falls. And I think scar tissue is something that a lot of people don't talk about or aware of how it's affecting your sex life. And that sex shouldn't be painful. I'm always surprised at how many people are like, sex hurts is like, I just kind of take it or I I don't know that it's not supposed to hurt. And I'm like, well, I think a lot of us are having sex we don't want to have because it hurts. (laughs) So That sounds miserable. Yeah, it is not fun to have sex that hurts. And if sex is hurting for you, anyone who's listening right now, it's like, that's you're not supposed to feel pain unless it's kinky pain that you've consented to. (laughs) That's what you're wanting to play with. But if you're experiencing pinching, pulling, dryness, these are all things that we can work with. And if you have any scar tissue, that's definitely an area of the body that 
um, you know, we work with when people come to see me and there are a lot of people who work with pelvic floor scar tissue and can oh, do scar tissue remediation work and people don't even know it's available, but it's a, it's an entire profession. So there's a lot of us out there that do that. And is that really to get sensation back generally? Yeah, it's to stop the pain and any kind of pelvic pain or pain during intercourse. And there are a number of reasons why pain could be caused. Dryness, I mentioned, scar tissue, I mentioned, um, but also uh, adhesions, like say in the cervix that keep it from, uh, during arousal, the cervix should move out of the back of the vaginal canal. And if that isn't happening because it's adhered into the vaginal wall or something like that, then um, you're not getting that uterine flight that moves it out of the back and then things are slamming into the cervix. So that could also mm. cause pain. Um, so adhesion, scar tissue, lack of movement of the tissue, lack of arousal, these are things that can create the pain. And so when we start to do the pelvic floor work, then we start to see um, diminishing of pain and then more blood flow can come into the area and then more arousability, more access to orgasm, more mm-hmm. access to freedom of movement of sexual energy, that all of these things start to shift for someone once they've really done the healing work to work through the things that are causing the pain. Got it. So the year before you're really just dealing like sort of more of a sex therapist and then it goes into the the role more of physical I don't it, hmm. I guess what is the difference? What is a sex therapist? Is that basically the mind part of what you do? Yeah, this I think sex therapy is much more of a talking. You're going to go in, you're going to talk to a sex therapist and then sex therapist might give you some things to go home and do Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe he's going to look at the past. And I think therapists use different methodologies. So there's anything from uh, working with trauma. Maybe you're working with your therapist in terms of really working through trauma and you're doing something like EMDR or you're doing something like cognitive behavioral therapy, depending mm-hmm. on what modality your therapist use. And that, that can be very, very effective for the mind aspect. The mind aspect that I do is is not therapy. It's much more of taking anything you have an emotional charge with and then working through to integrate the aspects of you that are holding that emotional charge so that that charge is no longer running. So if you have anger about sex or you have shame about sex, we're going to take the shame. We're going to look at the part of you that has that shame. And then we're going to integrate that through. I use a technique called accelerated evolution, which um, was created by a Serbian psychologist named Živorad Slavinsky, and they are technologies to help work through any kind of charge and integrate that charge so that it's uh, no longer affecting you. Hmm. It's, they're actually very quick methods. I'm surprised. You know, sometimes people have these experiences where I'm like, "Yeah, that that would take meditating in a cave for a long time to have that experience," but we just did it in 40 minutes. You know, I, I, I'm always looking at like what what's the fastest route that also doesn't have a lot of dogma around it Mm -hmm. so that we can get to these places um, of peak existence. Like we talked about at the beginning of the show um, more quickly, effectively and lasting. Do you find men or women to be more receptive to the work with you? I think it depends on who is more open 
Hmm. to the conversation, but oftentimes it is women who are driving sexual wellness. And even just the industry of sexual wellness itself is really being driven by women. And that industry is growing. I think that there has been a demand for more pleasure for them. And we're closing this orgasm gap. And the Mm -hmm. orgasm gap is often, you know, men often will have an ejaculation or an orgasm during (laughs) sex, whereas the majority of women don't because they're not getting enough clitoral stimulation. And so there's this big gap. That's such bullshit. It is such bullshit. I agree 100%. And that's just because of the way anatomy is. And it's also because we think intercourse is the thing. Sex isn't Mm -hmm. intercourse. And we have these narratives. I think we have a standard narrative of like, okay, we kiss and then we touch and then we lick and then we you know, do the sex and then we have an orgasm and that's good sex. That's one script. Speaking from experience, that is sex with a gay man. <laughs> it's not good sex. <laughs> yeah. Say more about that. <laughs> um, well, I was married to someone who was gay for 18 years and sex was... Um, functional and functional. Okay. I see that really nothing else. It was just sort of like a box. Step one, step two. Uh huh. uh -huh. We did it. Obligation. Yes. Yes. It's, isn't it someone's birthday again? Wasn't it just birthday last year? (laughs) Uh Yeah. Um, and then fortunately that period ended. Um, and I understood what, um, what was going on sex without a gay man was like, and boy, uh-huh. is it different. <laughs> uh-huh. That's so interesting. You and I have something in common. Um, I have had a relationship with a gay man for 20 years and we're still in relationship and we fell in love in college and just really hmm. fascinating. And it was so painful and just, and, you know, we finally figured it out, but. So did it start as a sexual relationship and then it evolved? It started as a tantric relationship, very energetic. Like we just had this energy and love for each Mm. other and all of this was actually really beautiful. But then when I wanted to have more physical relationship, we were so confused and like couldn't figure it out. And I think it's really interesting to talk about these kinds of relationships because there are more often than we think they are. And, you know, can we, can we make a relationship like that work? Is there, how do we prevent trauma in relationships like that where there's love? And I see this all the time in my practice. There's love, but we don't have a sexual connection. Mm-hmm. And so how do we work that out? And um, that's been a, a huge inquiry in my life. And I so, so interesting that you and I have that in common. But um, yeah, very painful for 17 years. And then, you know, figuring it out and coming to a place of that's where my erotic blueprints actually were born somewhat from. It gave us a language to understand each other of like, there's love, but we don't meet in the sexual blueprint. We meet in the energetic. That's exactly my next question is tell me about these blueprints because I have lots of questions involving them. So how did you come up with them in the first place? Yeah. So they, it was from my private practice, really, we've been talking about, and I had a couple who came for an immersion and they were struggling. He was struggling with erectile dysfunction, which for any men or partners who love men, erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation are the number one issues why men, single men come to see me. 
And it's not uncommon. You know, this is something that I think there's a lot of shame about, but we see it more and more, especially with younger people. And so he had come because he was having struggle getting an erection and she just couldn't figure out. She's like, I've tried every sex technique. You know, she's doing the pogo stick on him. She's doing, you know, like all the that things. That sounds really pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. And, he, and he's not getting aroused and it's because she's doing it in one blueprint. And I, this is kind of like my aha moment. I was hovering my hands above him and kind of showing her like, okay, well let's, let's let go of the pogo stick thing and let's like just give his body some space. And so I was like showing her to hold her hands up over his body and he's breathing. And he and has no clothes. He is totally naked. He's totally naked on the table. You know, okay. he's just breathing and, and his body starts to wave. It starts to undulate and he starts to get all this energy like moving through him. And he starts to like shake and gyrate and it's like really pleasurable for him. And he gets an erection and he opens up his eyes really wide at me. And he's like, what is happening? And she's looking at me really wide. And, and I was just like, well, you're, you're not wired sexually. You're wired energetically. And that was like my first really big aha moment that like people, you know, we, we live in a sexually blueprinted culture, which sexual blueprint means I'm turned on by nudity, penetration, lots of stimulation to my genitals, reaching climax, getting to that end goal and, and having a lot of what we our limited definition of sex is in the, in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and so they were both living in this blueprint of he's a man, he's supposed to love all this sexual stuff mm-hmm. and nothing was working, but he actually was wired energetically, which means he's turned on by space, anticipation, tease, longing, yearning. And there was no longing or yearning for him because she's like going right for it and doing all the stuff to his genitals And that was actually turning him off and he was disconnecting and dissociating from his body because he didn't have enough space to feel the sensitivity he actually had in his body. And that's the superpower of the energetic. They can feel so much without even being touched. And in that space, they can become highly orgasmic. Oftentimes they're Mm -hmm. thought of as frigid, but actually it's the opposite. They're just shutting down because it's too much stimulation. It's it's so much stimulation that they, they short circuit. Um, I liken it to like doing a cannonball in water versus dipping your finger in and watching the ripples go with an energetic. You need to just dip Mm -hmm. your finger in and watch the ripples go out. If you do a cannonball, you've you know, miss the opportunity with them. <laughs> They're just overwhelmed. Right, right. Is it, that sounds like the reverse of a typical, what I would think of as relationship where a woman is more touchy-feely and it's all the mm-hmm. emotion and the, the male is much more porn and jerking off and, you know, that's all that matters. Is that, is it normally that dynamic with genders? So this is super fascinating to me how gender plays a role in the blueprints. And we, we ask people when they take our quiz, you know, what gender are you, do you identify as? And with s- men who identify as men, meaning cisgendered mm-hmm. men, they th- who have penises. So people with penises who identify as men, cisgendered men, when we talk about gender, <laughs> so that's how, how we label it. I know. Um, and so they are not just sexual blueprint, which is what you spoke to porn, mm-hmm. jerking off, you know, like the, and like super simple. I think that we have underestimated men and 
that we simplify them way too easily in sex because what I've seen is that there's a lot of sexual masking, which essentially means this is how I'm supposed to be because I'm a man. I'm supposed to be that guy. Mm -hmm. But in reality, they're actually all the blueprints pretty equally. Mm. And so that was fascinating to me because I think we do have these suppositions, but I never saw that in my practice. What I see often in my practice is that there's a lot more depth to their sexuality. And even those who are sexuals, they may be simple, but they are not lacking in depth. Mm. And so I think we d- we've done this disservice of thinking of men this way. Now with, with cisgendered heterosexual women, what we found was that they were mostly energetic. Mm-hmm. And then second was sensual, what you said, the more lovey-dovey. Mm-hmm. So the sensual blueprint is someone who's turned on by all of their senses being ignited. That's taste, okay. smell, chocolate, you know, having like that romance of candles and music and the hot bath made, cuddling. This is very sensual blueprint. How many blueprints are there in total? Five, five okay. blueprints. And so the shadow side of the sensual is that you're stuck in your head and you can't feel what's going on in your body so much. Um, you can't feel the pleasure that's happening between your legs because you're thinking about the laundry that didn't get finished or mm. the call you forgot to make or your partner's bad breath and your brain is going on. Or how on. fast is this going to end? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> Obligation sex again. You know, how, how, what can I do to kind of like get him to whatever, you know, get off. And then, and then that's where faking orgasms can come in. And there's a high percentage of women who fake orgasms, which I think is really interesting. And again, it comes to that orgasm gap that we have this gap. And so, okay, I'll just fake it and then he'll be done. And then I can get on with whatever I need to do, do. And I think that's really sad, really sad. And so how do we start having sex that's worth wanting and how do we close that gap? And I think a lot of that comes with having outer course instead of intercourse. And that's part Mm -hmm. of sex. I think that we have this idea again of this narrative that intercourse is the, is the thing that is sex. But when we start to look at these blueprints, well, there's whole other worlds of sex out there and, and meaningful sex that can happen that has nothing to do with penetration. Yeah. And that's, Mom and dad, bye, if you're here. (laughs) And that's what I was lacking in my marriage was it was very missionary, you know, get the job done. And it was, I think it was more for me than it was for him. Right, right. I I think that's, that was our dynamic. Um, And yeah, that was awful. Um, And then (laughs) after you're, you're talking about the difference in the genders, I was with someone who was, um, very sensual the the what was the first one that you said the physical the energetic and the sexual was the, the first sexual one. okay mm-hmm. he was much more energetic and i found it a turn off and found myself like almost wanting to be like get a grip man up like uh-huh. <laughs> this is not what I want from you at all. Is that, uh-huh. and I felt really shitty about it and he felt really shitty about it. Um, but I still at my core want someone to like throw me against a wall and have his way with me, not like write me poems and right. you know, breathe with me. Which, which also speaks to, you're probably not energetic, sensual. <laughs> That's probably correct. not part of your blueprint makeup. It sounds much more correct. like you are sexual kinky, which is the the next one. Um, 
kinky is turned on by the taboo. And so that's like like edge of sex and that little bit of like- Like how taboo are we talking about? Because like- It's anything that's taboo for you. But like how- <laughs> I want a definition. I want, like, I want, because it's, I feel like it's very gray and maybe it is just totally up for interpretation. But um, yeah, like you were talking about communication. If somebody from the beginning is like, I'm kinky, I'm thinking like 50 shades of gray and I'm going to like nearly turn blue and die. Um, whereas it could right. be like an ice cube or like a wax candle. And I, there's a big spectrum of the difference. So there's a huge spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that. So kinky taboo is anything that is taboo for you. And what that means is if, if a candle wax is taboo, then that is kinky for you. I had a couple Mm -hmm. who were together for 40 years and they had sex every, every night of the same night of the week, once a week. So, you know, like every Wednesday they would have sex and they would have it the same way in missionary position. And they did that for 40 years. And when they came to see me, they're like, okay, we feel like we're kind of friends. We want to spice things up. Like we want to have longevity. I know really good for them. I think this also goes to a point of like how many people like feel ashamed that they have to talk to a sex coach. It's like, if you want to learn to play the piano, you go to a piano teacher and you don't have shame about it necessarily. I mean, sometimes we do have shame about music because we got shamed in our childhood. But, you know, I think sex, there's just so much charge about seeking help. And I'd love to just break the stigma of that and that people who get help are actually smart because they're creating longevity in their relationship. They're also creating health in their bodies. Sexual health is part of our overall health and wellness. Well, yeah, you'd certainly rather be with someone who's been through therapy and understands. So that makes sense that you'd want to be with someone who, or, or it would be refreshing to be with someone who has this understanding. Yeah. And who also is like, has growth as a value together that you're, you know, you're growing together over time. So they were so, so beautiful. But when it came to kinky, they, you know, they felt like having sex out of missionary position was kinky. Having Mm -hmm. anal sex was kinky, you know, doing anything that was outside of their norm was incredibly kinky for them. So I think that there is a huge range within this blueprint And that it can range from anywhere from having sex out of missionary position because that feels naughty and taboo because it's against a religious belief or something like that to what you're talking about, you know, where there's really extreme and intense play, um, which again, that, that wide spectrum, no shame in it as long as it's consensual, as long as it's sane, as long as it's safe and you're practicing those safer sex practices, but um, and you're a yes to it. Otherwise, it's it's abusive, and so we don't want we don't want to go to that place. Now, there's there's two aspects. One is psychological, and psychological kink is the power dynamic, the play of giving power over. Like you were talking about, like being pushed up against a wall and mm-hmm. and taken and ravished and having that strong energy that's there that is in control and dominant and domin- domineering over you that that is that is part of the turn on so there's that psychological aspect of the gameplay of playing with dominance and surrender resistance and mm. and having that push pull within sexuality and that that aggression i don't think that aggression is necessarily a bad thing when again it's consensual and agreed upon we may need some of that for that hot spice within sex so and then there's the sensation based aspect and sensation-based kinky is someone who's turned on by the sensation of intense 
um, impact for like spanking or paddles mm. or choking or ropes, bondage. So we're starting to play with some of that. My partner, my own partner, Ian, is a kinky. And I didn't know it until six and a half years into our relationship when I was starting oh, wow. to uncover these blueprints. And shame, shame is the thing that keeps people from talking about their kinky desires. And so he had a lot of se- of shadow in the kinky, which is that shame about his turn on. And I'm a sexologist. So like, to me, it was like, so like, oh my gosh, how hard must it be for regular people to talk about this? If I, this is what I do for a living. And my own partner had struggle coming to me and really saying what his own desires were. I think part of it too, was he just didn't realize how kinky he was, but as he started mm-hmm. exploring, you know, it started coming out more and more. And, you know, he loves both. He loves like psychology and, you know, the feelings, the sensations. So the feeling of the rope on his body, but then the psychological aspect of now I'm out of control and somebody can just do things to me Mm -hmm. and it's being forced on me and putting it in quotes um, because that's, that is the turn on I'm tied up. I'm helpless. I can't do anything. And now um, I have to take this pleasure that's being forced upon me. Hmm. Okay. So if there's a mismatch and one person is one blueprint, the other person is another blueprint, is there a happy medium meeting in the middle and can it change? Like if you're the sexual one and you're with someone who's the more emotional one, does that sort of spread to you? Or are you always the innately, you know, what your blueprint personally is? This is a question I get a lot, which is, okay, well, if I'm sexual, my partner's sensual, like you were just saying, um, it's interesting, sexuals need to have sex to relax, and sensuals Mm -hmm. need to relax in order to have sex. So Mm -hmm. it feels like they're total opposites. But any blueprint pairing has its superpower. And I talk about this a lot in my book of like, okay, here are all your superpowers with this pairing. And then here are... um, all of the shadow aspects of that. Like here's where you're going to struggle together. Mm-hmm. And then here's how to overcome those. So for example, with this sensual sexual, one of the things that I think the sexual can start to realize and understand is that sex is a journey and it isn't about that end goal all the time. Mm-hmm. And to allow times for sex to unfold where intercourse is not the goal, mm-hmm. where there is just time to rest and allow things to unfold and do things for your sensual partner. Like just straightening See, up. See, For the me, bedroom. that just seems like a waste of time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's exactly it. what a sexual would say. I don't get it. Like we just do it. Like, you know, <laughs> get to I it. I actually, it my partner's also sensual. So with my partner, Ian and I, I was zero kinky and 5% sensual. That's my blueprint map. Whereas sexual and energetic are my highest. Okay. And and he is zero sexual and 5% energetic. So oh, wow. complete opposites we we were and I would I would come in the bedroom and be like chop chop come on we have 15 minutes let's have sex. <laughs> and he's like chop chop related to my penis just is not good. And so we joke now because he would always be like can't we just let it unfold? Can't we just like see what's going to organically happen. I'm like, no, I want the cert. I want the certainty that you are going to have sex with me. (laughs) 
Now, is there a term for female blue balls? Because that's bullshit. The whole orgasm gap and lack of concern about that. I was talking to a friend of mine, a single friend of mine, one of my only ones. um, And she was talking about this guy she just slept with who, when she said, you know, I'm not finished, was like, well, I'm really tired now. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I thought like, can you take back your vagina? Like, can you just like, <laughs> like undo the last like hour of your life? Because that person does not deserve that. And it's infuriating. It is infuriating, you know, and this is why with any lover, I want to know, are they willing to please me? Mm-hmm. And are they in what stage are they in their sexual development? You know, are they in a stage where they're really concerned about their own pleasure and getting off themselves? Or are they concerned about my pleasure? Mm-hmm. And then, and then even further, are they receiving pleasure through my pleasure? Yeah, that's something I wanted to ask you about too, because that's something else I don't understand <laughs> is, is solely, and maybe it's because I've, well, this is a depressing tangent, but solely in it for somebody else. Um, That's a beautiful thing. But I also feel like in the process, don't you get turned on and want it? And then are you just like, I can't have this? Or I think it's it's different. (laughs) I think it's different for different genders. So what I see often with men is they start out with concern about their own pleasure when they're Mm -hmm. younger. And then if they develop past those teen years where it's all about them, they start to then be like, okay, I want to become a better lover. And then they focus solely on the other person's pleasure for a while Mm -hmm. and they lose some of their own. And then they finally will get to a a place where that pleasure is being derived because the other person is in pleasure. So now they're in this feedback loop, like you're talking about, you know, like, okay, this person's in high arousal. So now I'm feeling in high arousal and they start to have that loop. I think it's different for women because we often start off concerned about our partner's pleasure more because that's what we've been taught. Ah. Sex is is for the other sex is for them. Like let's be help them have pleasure, but it's not really for me. And that's just such an antiquated thought that I think we need to get rid of. But that's often early in our sexual development. There's a great book that I I really love called Dilemmas of Desire. And they interview high school girls about their first time having sex. Mm. And what was so sad for me was that 99% of the girls, it just happened for them. Sex was something that just happened. They didn't have a conscious choice about it, or they did it because their boyfriend wanted it. And it was all about their partner's pleasure. Only 2% of the girls actually like got educated, took the pleasure in their own hands, wanted pleasure for themselves. Mm. So I think what happens is we, we're so focused on other person's pleasure. And then when we start to develop out of that, we get focused on our own pleasure and we become a bit narcissistic and like, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me because we had enough of it being all about everybody else and it's time for us. And then the, and then the third stage becomes more of a shared experience where now we're, where now we're in more of a sharing versus it being all about the other or all about ourselves. Now right. we're in a mu- mutual experience together where we're, well, and that union. sounds like what it should be. Absolutely. But, but I also think that we have, we have these stages of development, you know, like I, I believe, yes, we want to get to the stage of development because that's sexual adulthood. Right. But so many people are still in their childhood. They haven't moved past adolescence 
mm-hmm. in terms of their sexual growth. So is your sexual blueprint, are you essentially born with it? Is it, it? Does it develop during puberty? Is it because of how you sexually developed leading up to that point? My thought on that is, and, and what I've seen from my practice, is that we're all actually shapeshifters, which is one I haven't touched on yet. Mm-hmm. And the shapeshifter is someone who is all of these blueprints. They're turned on by all of it. They love all of it. They want more. You know, they have a huge capacity for pleasure. On the shadow side, they've often been told they're too much or too complex, but what's actually true is that they're just the most erotically sophisticated out of all of the blueprints. Mm-hmm. They're great lovers because they can shapeshift to please anybody, and they can also be pleased in any of the blueprints, but they're often the most starving because most people are not developed in every single blueprint. And so to answer mm-hmm. your question, it's I think that we're all shapeshifters, and what I've seen is that we get conditioned or programmed. So it's not that we've developed as an energetic. It's that we're actually a shapeshifter and the sensual part of us got shut down and the sexual part mm. of us got shut down and the kinky part of us got shut down. And so we ha- we're not full in, in our sexuality. And I, I don't want people to hear that they're broken in this because you're mm. always whole. You're, you're already whole and complete. It's like, when Michelangelo is creating a piece of art, he says the piece of art is already there. I'm just taking away all the parts that aren't that piece of art. Mm-hmm. And same thing with you. You already are a shapeshifter. You've just been, you've just had parts of you shut down or um, blocks to your fullness, to your wholeness. And I believe we are on that journey to reclaiming all the sexual parts of ourselves. And that is the sexual awakening is in when we have this reclamation of our wholeness which is this full erotic expression without um, limitation or block. Hmm. So does your blueprint evolve as you age and develop, or is it pretty much consistent for your whole life? They're not fixed. This is something that once we know our blueprint and we know ourselves and know who we are, we can then start to expand into new territory. We can learn our partner's language. I don't think we're sexually incompatible or mismatched. Mm-hmm. I actually think we just need to learn the language of our lover. And it just like learning a language, you can learn how to expand into new blueprint, blueprint territory. Totally curious how you feel about, about happy ending hand, uh, massage parlors. Is that just a way that the sexual person can express themselves without, you know, touching the other sides? Does that, how do you just, I don't know. I have a debate mm-hmm. with somebody, a long, long-term <laughs> debate about it being right or wrong. And uh-huh. I'm just curious how you feel about that. Yeah. You know, for me, it's always interesting because I, I have to put these kinds of questions in context. Is it happening non-consensually because you have a partner at home who isn't meeting your sexual blueprint needs? And so you're going to go to these massage parlors without them knowing and Mm -hmm. there's not consent in the relationship. And so if they find out there's going to be hurt and betrayal, like, are you harming anyone Mm -hmm. in this situation? How about the practitioner? Are they there because they're under financial slavery or, you know, something that is sex slavery? Are they there because they want to be there and they, mm. they love this job, you know? So I'm looking always at context for any okay. of these situations. Are you single and you're sexual and it's a helpful way for you to get your needs met? And the practitioner's like, yeah, I love this work. 
then no, like no shame. What's, what's mm-hmm. the context in which we, and Hey, I'm not recommending anybody do anything illegal. I'm not recommending, there are places where this is legal and there are expressions of this that are healthy and happy. And maybe it's a way for you to learn about your body, um, that it could have a positive impact. And then mm-hmm. I look at it from the somatic point of view. Are you now creating a somatic habit that this becomes your only way to turn on? And then when you get in a mm-hmm. relationship, is that not good for you? Because now you've trained your body to have this arousal pattern right, that is right. here at these massage parlors. So, and the same thing for porn. People ask me about porn all the time and it, it's always context. What's the context? Is it a betrayal to your partner that you're looking at porn because you've made an agreement within your relationship that you're not going to do that and you're breaking an agreement? Are you single and it's a way to have an outlet for your own sexual expression? But then are you using it as a somatic pattern? Like I look at it from the same exact point of view. What is the relationship? And is the relationship with the tool helpful? Because I think we can use any tool in a unhealthy way, or we can use the tool in a way that is enhancing and healthy. And I come back to, well, good, bad. I don't know unless I'm seeing the full picture. Yeah, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. I had one more question. Do you ever, when you're working with couples and if you start with breath work and it leads to sex and they're like, you're actually feet away from them, do you get turned on by that? and Or is it just functional work and you're able to separate it from your sexuality? Yeah, that's a really interesting question as a practitioner. And then we have a bunch of coaches we've trained. So we have over 350 coaches that we've trained. And this is a question that comes up a lot. What about my own arousal in the space? And what, you know, how do I separate that out? And um, as a practitioner who works in sexuality, ethics is really important to me. And it's really important that I maintain a really professional and ethical environment. And at the same time, I'm a human being Mm -hmm. and arousal may show up, you know, arousal may show up in the work that we do. I've kind of gotten like, it's almost like, because I've been doing this for almost 30 years. It's like, as soon as somebody becomes a client, there's kind of a shut, shut off in me, like a Mm -hmm. switch shuts off for my own, um, arousal or or partnered relationship like all of that cuts off because that's not something that we are going to instigate like that's not what the work is about um and yes like sometimes there is arousal in my body that shows up but do i need to put that arousal or place that arousal on a client no (laughs) do i need to like like my body may respond to something in a moment because it's a hot moment, but it's not something that will then bleed over into my professional relationship with a client. I suppose it's a benefit to not being a man in that situation. What yeah, no, nobody knows. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nobody knows that that is happening in my body. Right, right. Yeah. Um, okay, so if people are interested and they want to take your quiz, which I did, um, they can go to Miss Jaya, which is spelled... The, the, the blueprint or, or, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's the blueprintbreakthrough.com will take people directly to the quiz. Okay. So the blueprintbreakthrough.com and people, there are two different quizzes. One's a free quiz, which will give you your primary blueprint type. And the other one is more in depth. And that will give you like a whole profile of exactly the percentages and explain more about compatibility and things we've been talking about. Um, so yeah, the blueprintbreakthrough.com for the quiz. And then my site is Miss Jaya, M-I-S-S-J-A-I-Y-A.com, MissJaya.com. 
perfect. And the quiz will make you blush, but it also (laughs) um, will hopefully inspire and educate you as well. Jaya, thank you so much. This was super fun and educational. And uh, just thank you. It was a joy to talk to you. So great. Thank you for having the conversation. I think it's really important, you know, and I really honor people who have the courage to have the conversation and talk about sex. Yeah, let's talk about it. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget to follow the podcast so you don't miss our next episode. And before you go, can I ask you a big favor? Could you just rate the podcast? Just give it five stars wherever you're listening. It really means a lot to me and to the podcast. And I'd be so appreciative if you could just do that before you go. Thank you very, very much. She's Got Issues is produced by Kira Shine, Play Audio Agency, and me, Jill Smokler. We would be so appreciative if you could rate and review the podcast. And don't forget to check out the magazine, she'sgotissues.com. See you next time.